Oh, no, choose your input advice. Yeah, it's... Can you hear that? Yes, really loudly. All right, excellent. Okay, we are getting there. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews and whatever else takes our fancy. And welcome to all the Department of Transport and Planning people who are now listening to this <laughs> podcast. Welcome to you all. Oh, you're in, you're, you've got a new department as well, yeah? Or you've got to have a shift in the, the change of um, government? We've had a shift. Yes. We're in a new department. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, so, well, we're not a new de- we, we got a section You've got planning added into you. Correct. Yes, that is correct. No. Yeah, we're, we've sh- completely shifted department, so we're um, getting used to a new home. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to talk about the public service. That is, oh, we should have a public service podcast. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I heavily will not be doing that. That is a complete joke. Having no, worked, having no worked in the public service uh, since 2005, uh, I have no desire to talk about it at all. And then the reason I'm welcoming people is because I did mention the podcast in a uh, in a meeting. So there's oh my potentially, God. there yeah, we go. I've already had one person come to me. <gasps> Lovely. So it's uh, you know I, I'm um, you well, know, well, our fan good. base is is going to triple. Let us guarantee. let us try to co-opt the entire Victorian public service as this. That's that's my aim. That's that's that that's our entire fan base. All right. Jesus, how do we – it's a Saturday. I don't want to talk about work. Go, no, continue, I, in fact, continue. In fact, I, I blame myself. This time I genuinely blame myself. I brought it up. I shouldn't have brought you it did. up because uh, it should be the first furthest thing from our mind. Continue. Continue the introduction, so, which has been no, well late. No, 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 no. So I'd like to welcome my host, Kirsten McDermott. I actually forgot to do hello. that. So hello. 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 I am the voice you've been hearing for the last <laughs> couple of minutes. <laughs> Um, how are you going, Kirsten? Oh, I, I, I don't know. February is uh, February went away. February just went. It said hello and goodbye in five minutes. So it's March. Hello, March. Please stay around for a little bit longer so I can get some shit done. Well, there is an extra three days. There is. Okay. Well, um, we've spoken about time, <laughs> which is a topic sort of of one of these books. Yeah. Um, so let's get on to and the, the And the passing of time. Yes, of the past and the excavation mm-hmm. of time, uh, you know, which of the past, which is so. What are terrible. the two books? No, I want to say the word excavation again. It's such a lovely word in the okay. mouth. Okay, so uh, the books are Lot by Shola von Reinhold and Animal Life by Ava Arva Olfastotir. Two very very interesting books, and, and interestingly, one is half the size of the other. Yeah. I felt that. <laughs> Yeah, I felt too. that. I would say, but, but they both have a lot to unpack, and there is a more broader point here about book length and whether I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't want to. Which one are we going to talk about first? Well, we'll talk about Lot first, and okay. Lot is the longer. That is the one the I two. read first, and it's the one I read first too. I feel like and that's it, maybe where most of February went. Was <laughs> reading so, this book. <laughs> Certainly, my evenings. <laughs> So this is gonna. Th- so that sounds negative. Um, and how dare you, Kirsten? For me, it is. It is slightly negative. I, in many respects, I did love this book, and I will describe. Mm. I'll do the back cover blurb in a second. In other ways, 
I found it quite a cool reading experience, a very distancing reading experience, which I think is actually deliberate, but um, that meant that it's not a book you can it, – it's not an immersive book, at least for me. There are sections actually that are very immersive, mm. uh, which we'll talk about, but for me I found it uh, constantly distancing. And so, you know, uh, when you're tired on a evening, <laughs> you, you – because 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 Yeah, the, oh, I am 100% agreeing with what you are yeah, about to you've say. Got to, you've got to be keyed in for this book. Yeah. If you're not – if you're not if you're not keyed in, this book isn't going to help you. It's got it's not holding your hand. Okay, yeah. so um, and that's not a bad thing. There are many a book that doesn't hold your hand. I'm currently literally halfway through Ulysses, which is the first time I'm mentioning it because I've oh been James Joyce Ulysses. Yes, I've made ah. a point of not mentioning it because every time you someone mentions that they're reading Ulysses, they never finish it. Uh, but I'm actually literally halfway through. And, is this an accountability? Uh, no, I will finish it because I'm 13 episodes in out of 18, and it is extraordinary. I mean, Uly- there's a reason why Ulysses is one of the great books. Slight tangent, Ulysses has 18 episodes. I've read 13. Uh, I'm into the 13th one now, so I'm invested. I'm not stopping. It get, gets harder, though, and so I'm getting into the really hard stuff. Um, not that it starts easy, to be fair, um, but I'm reading it. I have not read all of Ulysses. Yeah, so so there's a lot of so I'm reading it as a as part of a larger compendium that has essays. So right. I read a, an episode, then read an essay, and that things like and that's, that's a, must amazing. be a big book, like a physically it's a big thousand book. pages. Like it's literally yes. massive. As in, I can barely hold it. Because Ulysses is huge, so a compendium with other stuff must. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's about it's about it's two hundred sixty thousand words of Ulysses and another two hundred thousand words of essays, and it's the best thing I've done in the last two months by uh, um country mile. So yeah, but. The point I was making, and just bring up Ulysses to say that I'm reading Ulysses. I brought up because it is also a book that tr- that uh, historic uh, famously it makes no concessions to the reader at all. Mm. Yeah, but I think Loat makes more concessions to the reader than Ulysses does. Well, I, well, this is the di- no, no, but I want to make a difference. Ulysses is actually extremely funny. Yeah, <laughs> even, no, it e- is. It even is. when even when your bits of it are not they're going over your head, yeah. there are bits of it that, that are clearly just funny. Whereas Lote is so earnest and I think that, that was oh, also part of Oh no, I it. thought there was I thought it was so funny. Oh, I found it really deadpan. Oh, isn't that interesting? No, I didn't. I, I found let let's We'll continue this conversation. How about we just say a little bit about what the book actually is okay. about for, for listeners who haven't read it? So, and I should say this is a, a multi-award winner book too. Um, I believe it won the James Tate and the Republic of Consciousness Prize Awards. Okay. Solitary Matilda has long harboured a conflicted enchantment bordering on rapture with the bright young things, the Bloomsbury, the Bloomsbury Group, and their contemporaries of the 20s and 30s, and throughout her life, her attempts at reinvention have mirrored their extravagance and artfulness. After discovering a photograph of the forgotten black modernist poet Hermia Druitt, who ran in the same circles as the bright young things, Matilda becomes transfixed and resolves to learn as much as she can about the mysterious figure. Her search brings her to a peculiar artist residency in Dunn, a small European town in which Hermia was known to have lived during the 30s. The artist residency throws her deeper into a lattice of secret and secret societies that takes hold of her aesthetic imagination. From champagne theft and black modernism to art sabotage, alchemy and lotus-eating proto-luxury communist cults, Matilda's escapes through modes of aesthetic expression lead her to question the convoluted ways truth is made and obscured. 
Can I just say, I, I had, that's the first time I've, I didn't even go back and read that blurb after I finished the book. Um, but you just reading that out, it's like, that sounds like an amazing book. I really want to read it. <laughs> but all those elements well, I don't, I don't feel, I know. And that's what's so weird because I, look, I did not, I liked this book. I did not love this book. And I think part of that is me. Part of that was the headspace I was in. And I, I, We'll probably read it again in another five years or so. It feels like a book that will will call to me again. But when I read it this last month for all sorts of Kirsten factors, um, I, I, I did find a lot of the time it was a difficult book for me to engage with. But I, as I said, I think that is actually mostly me because you read the blurb. It's like, that sounds like, a, that sounds like 100% a Kirsten book. It's like, why didn't I feel like that when I read it? That's really sad. Okay, I do. I, I think I know where you saw the comedy, which is in the the uh, residency, the artist residencies. The I can't pronounce the. I I thought Garou. The Garouian. Yeah. The Garous. Well, it's either going to be Garou or Garou, and my French is not amazing. Who who is so? Which just to be clear, Matilda, in her search to the, learn the more, the bulk about, of the book is set in this fictional is, town in Dunn. In, in yes, I don't I, think I, the country specified. Is it? It's just somewhere uh, in Europe, if, like continental yes, Europe. Correct. Yeah. You, correct. I got the feeling it was like maybe not like lower than Scandinavia, maybe kind of around the Belgian sort of area, but it's not actually specified. Not that I could tell. No. Yeah. And there I do look out for those though, things. So. And the, the, the residency she joins, and the reason she joins it is because the last thing we know about Hermia Druitt is that she lived in this fictional town and for a long chunk of her life, but but then vanished and no one knows where. So when the when this when she stumbles across this residency, uh, she signs up for it and gets selected. Um, and so she goes, and the residency itself is this group of artists. Well, I'm going to do scare quotes. Artists, <laughs> artists. whose whole thing is the abnegation of art, the 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 of self, know, not a, of not self. of art, of self, of self. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yes, good. yes, correct, of self. And, and it is funny. I mean, their entire art project, the entire project, is to produce these uh, white books that go into a room that no one ever sees. That's the. <laughs> And so they spend their entire course, you know, filling in these books to yep. put them in a room that no one will ever see. And the final, the final one, literally, like the ones that they do, sort of as stages, the the people running the residency do do look at and provide some kind of feedback on, I assume. But the very, very final submission, literally, no one sees it. Not even the the quote unquote examiners like literally you could literally hand in and I thought for quite a while I thought that was going to be involved in the the the, you know the final I guess climax of the book however that was going to be was obviously Matilda's just going to hand in a blank book because they don't even look at it so why wouldn't you just hand in a blank book because she doesn't care she's 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 there to try to find Hermia not um not participate in the residency uh but but no that was kind of just the white book stuff was pushed aside for um, more important things. And initially I did find it funny, the cold group, mm. but then it sort of outstayed its welcome for me a little bit. I just found it less interesting as as an organ. Although it does it, it does quite beautifully fit into the theme of the novel, which is all about mm. erasure. The whole book is about yeah. erasure, erasure of self, erasure of black and queer identity. Yeah. Okay. And, in fact, they both converge not just at, at a metaphoric level but at, a, at an actual genuine, you know, literal level, as in – this group 
is part of the erasure of black and queer identity. So, absolutely. I think I think we need to. I think we are okay, definitely going to spoil. We're, we're going to. I'm going to because we say it all the time. We're going to spoil this book, um, and I've been thinking about that. Um, and it's like I don't, I don't. This book, I don't think we are because I, I think revealing plot points and even revealing what what happens close to the end, it doesn't spoil the reading experience of this book. This is not a book tied into what happens next. Right? No, it, this is no. this is a book which is no. much more a conversation about all like identity and erasure and you know the yeah the erasure of black queer history. A whole bunch of stuff, and that conversation can't be spoiled by revealing plot points. So, um, but if you are, you know, sensitive to that stuff, we are going to talk about things that happen at the very end of this book um, because think, because that is important to the conversation. But the devastating truth, which is twofold, mm. that uh, Hermia Druitt's uh, room where she used, where she lived in Dunn is at the top of this uh, residency and it's been closed off from everyone but has been kept as a museum piece with uh, mm. with her papers which and no everything. Which no one sees. It was, which no it one was sees. like it's described as being the, the first of these projects that Guru yes. did and that yes. was his project was to because Hermia went, we find that Hermia went and stayed. Well, it's creepier than that. Guru built this complex and then subsequently the residency for the express purpose of having her live live there for a while and then to to kick Hermia the the person out and just maintain I guess the concept of her as the room and and that and that's creepy enough and then you find out so what one of the things that Matilda's doing all the way through is so Hermia is given to us in um well two ways we we do get these uh third person accountings of of parts of her life written in in a very standard you know um, narrative form right and they're, they're in there and they're not meant to be from anywhere they're not you know this is just snippets of her life presented as 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 part of this book there are several different layers of of this book the way you know several threads I guess so you've got Matilda's first person narrative which is the bulk of it you've got extracts from a fictional book about black modernism I forget the fictional author's name, but it doesn't matter. It's a fictional author. I'm not offending anyone. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> uh, extracts from a fictional book about black modernism that Hermia has tracked down, which was really hard to find, and she's tracked down. And so the extracts from that book, which deal with Hermia Druitt, and um, and then there there are these uh, – there's some other little things as well, but there are these sections which don't I – don't, I don't believe are meant to have come from any extant document, but they're, yeah, third-person snippets of, of scenes from her life. So we, we get to see her in various ways talked about and, and presented and yeah. so on, which is a, a kind of an archiving in itself. And Matilda's sort of like mission throughout this book is to track track her down and more importantly to track down a poem that she wrote which was her only published work and no copies of it seem to exist anywhere. And that is the devastating sort of finale yeah. of the Dunn residency section, which is as I said, primarily the bulk of the book, is that not only was, you know, the, like preserving the room and everything, it was, it was, well, creepy, it's, this, as you say, it's this really fetishization, creepy. But, yeah. and it's something that is something we love to do as a, as a Western culture, right? We love preserving this sort of shit. 
<laughs> and it, it, you know, there's a line between we are we are showing you an example of a room from the 1870s and and how people lived and and you know which is really interesting and historic and 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 we are preserving the possessions of one particular person. <laughs> yeah, which there's a there's a creepy fetishization about that, especially when it is a a dominant culture preserving a, a you know a marginalized person, and this is. This is what they're preserving. But the, the devastating, the devastating reveal of the novel was that Guru also, he didn't just preserve the room where she lived for a while. He also somehow got every single copy of this poem that was published by a small press back in the 1920s. And preserved those And as preserved well. them in this archive for no one else, to, like no one. And it's just the most... Oh, it's evil. It's, it's pure devastating. Evil. It's absolutely devastating. And, and, and I know we started this uh, discussion being a little bit critical, but that, but that is a punch in the gut. There is it a, is. a, a you, you don't read that and go, uh, oh, And whatever. I did not, you, you I did are, not you, see that coming. <laughs> no. Um, and, and, and it all, and, and again, this is where the book is really smart. The whole book, I mean, the book begins with Matilda in the museum doing archival work and archival stuff is, as you said before, really key. And this yeah. is a form of art. And, 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 the, and one of the, the uber messages is that um, there are gatekeepers out there, like yeah. you said, the dominant culture acting as gatekeepers, um, keeping certain artwork, certain ex- forms of expression out from the general public and by, by archiving it. And we, know, and we know that museums have storerooms of thousands and thousands of artefacts from different cultures. And there is some argument to say that those archival places uh, while it's not great that they're hidden away, at least they're being restored and looked after and they're not just... Possibly. I mean, I, there is, this is the <laughs> argument the museums make. I mean, this is the yes. genuine argument they make. Yes. They go, look, we can't put our whole uh, ex- everything out there because you would feel, you know, eight, you know it's just impossible and it, yeah. we can't afford it, so we have to archive. But it's great to know that this stuff isn't just being thrown in the bin. That's their argument, and it's accessible yeah. for scholars and yeah, well, moderately accept, moderately, Mo- accessible. moderately I mean, accessible for scholars because one of, because one of the characters that we see here, Agnes, uh, who is a person of color, and she goes mm-hmm. and does this, and she's she's very focused on this idea of the, of, of of black black uh, artists etc being uh, archived out of existence. Yeah. So she's trying to uncover a lot of that. She's getting kicked out of museums left, right, and center for being too much of an activist and, in that and space. for stealing things. <laughs> And for stealing things, to be fair, yes. <laughs> or yeah. liberate, liberating Libera- things, I well, think, but, but, I think yeah. we would say, and I think um, Agnes would say. And so this whole archival s- aspect, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. is a genuinely – I mean, John Oliver did an episode of uh, <laughs> last week tonight on it uh, about, I think, last year. It's a, it's a really problematic issue, and this book just covers it beautifully. And the fact that the Dunn residency is just part of that broader problem is, 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 is a – a punch to the guts it is and and the reason it's like i think what's really fascinating and one one of the thematic threads which runs through this this book is so so the the idea behind the the artists who practice this garuvian theory uh is is to as you said before, completely remove the artist from the art which which is a a conversation we're having at the moment in our in our culture in various areas about separating the art from the artist, um, but and, and the art standing on its own and the art being independent although, of the artist. Although this is less about death of the author, or, or but it's because the discussions we're having about art 
and mm. removing the art from the artist still allows the art to be there. It just says, you know, that problematic shit with person fill in gap. Yeah, uh, th- th- just that society issue. Just put that over there. But yeah. the art itself stands on its own. This is, yeah, this but, is but it's not even the problematic stuff. It's the idea of yeah, the art existing without the artist and and th- you know the input of the artist and all of that. Anyway, yeah. Um, so okay. It's it's tangential, like the conversations are tangential. So that's part of what they're doing, and and then then of course it is um, also about uh, yeah the, the art being then further removed from an audience, and you sit there and you go if if I, I, I lots of good arguments for separating the art from the artist. We don't do it. We never have. But yes, lots of good arguments for that. Separating art from an audience is it even art like well, d- don't no. you have to make that connection between even if you take the the author artist out doesn't art like it's that kind of you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it does it make a sound if no one is there to interact with the art to finalize that connection and get meaning or communication or pleasure or some kind is what is that art is it anything is it worth anything (laughs) it's really interesting but anyway that that's part so that's their kind of process and that is the reason you know one of the reasons there you know that that Hermia's room and and her poem and everything is kind of hidden away and it's and I'm I'm riffing off um, comments or at least, you know, things that the book has said or that um, Reinhold has said in the book, um, I should say, not wanting to erase the author. This book does not stand on its own. It is the product of a human being. <laughs> Very much so. um, is, it is really easy for people and culture where their identity doesn't matter to say identity doesn't matter, let's forget about it. Yes. Right? It is really easy when your identity doesn't matter because it doesn't impinge your life. It doesn't, you know, diminish your life. It doesn't prevent you from doing things. It doesn't, you know, stereotype you or whatever. It is really easy. It's like rich people saying money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for them, <laughs> you know. Like when something doesn't matter to you because it doesn't affect your life in any meaningful way, it is incredibly easy to say as a blanket, this doesn't matter. But when your identity as a human being in the world has been erased, denigrated, pushed aside, literally prevented you from opportunities and living to your potential. Identity matters so much. And the idea that a, you know, these um, white Euro people back in, you know, throughout the 20th century could go, well, well, you know, identity doesn't matter and and, and this is how we, we theorise art. So we, we are going to take someone who was not a part of our movement, who was not involved in in or did not agree with our theorising about art and, and what matters and what doesn't matter, and we are going to subsume them and hide them and archive them because this is what we think. But they were ne- they did not agree with you. They were not part of that. How dare you how dare you and that is kind of the part of the book it's it's the idea that you know the dominant culture will will just make decisions about what is valued what should be seen the way things should be framed and talked about and discussed um and the the and it's not the end of the novel that, that there's more that happens after this but the reveal of what has happened to Hermia Druitt's work is it is just part it's just 
yeah, it's it's hideous. It's absolutely horrific. And and, and the novel is constantly playing on that that erasure. It's it's just it's just there mm. that that removal that um, it's there in the fact that the book Black Modernism. No one can find it. No, it doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was I mean, really, it was she, she really was extremely, hard. It, it does exist. The book yep. does exist. She was able to find a copy. And the wonderful friend she meets, uh, Erskine Lily, uh, also oh, has a copy. I loved Erskine Lily. Yeah, Erskine Lily is is is. Uh, they are is, they is are terrific. fantastic. They are wonderful. And yeah, so so really hard to find. And then there's the fact that Matilda herself is looking to constantly escape herself, erase her identity on a regular basis plays into this as well as a form of mm, that bit. I, I, look, you, you, you may have got that more than I did. I got it from that erasure point of view. I didn't understand yep. what her end, what the end game was or if there was even one. Maybe the point is that life is a form of constant erasure, but that's that doesn't feel like that was actually the general thesis of the novel. And, and it could be more that she feels she needs to do that because that's the way society has pushed her into that, that she has to escape, constantly escape from herself and escape uh, her past, um, mm. because society. So yeah, because we, we uh, Matilda Matilda has not always been her name. Yes, and that ties in with Hermia Druitt, who that that was not Hermia's name either. Yes, that was an adopted name. Yes, there is a suggestion from the Black Modernism book about who the actual human being might have been in terms of tracking down birth records and so on, but that's not known. And and we, we as the reader, we we don't know who. Matilda is except like this is the interesting thing we we do and we're we're very fixated in I'm just going to use the West as shorthand it's more complicated like that you, you listeners you know this but we are very fixated with documentation and and what is real and what is true and this is relevant because um I mean Erskine Lilly is, is definitely non-binary possibly trans so it is relevant to the book because we see this in some of the attacks against um, trans people, you know, dead naming them. And well, that isn't your real name and that isn't your real. And what does it, what does any of this matter? Like we have Matilda and we don't know who she actually is in terms of the name on her birth certificate. Um, What does it matter? This is who she is now. This is who she's telling us she is. And when we're reading this book, I mean, I didn't, I just kind of remembered every now and then because it came up, but it doesn't matter. We see her as Matilda and this is who she is, and this is the person she is, and she's telling us this is who she is at the moment. And okay, that's fine. And I don't need to to see her ID and go, well, I'm sorry, but that's not who you are. And that that is, and then the same with Hermia Druitt, who escaped her um, potentially, because again, we don't really know the human being um, or the documented human being, I guess, behind Hermia Druitt. But she appears to have been a, a person who escaped a life where she would not have been able to be this extravagant modernist poet. And she assumed, not assumed, see, that's a bad word too, she became Hermia Druitt and that became who she was, which makes it difficult for historians to pin her down, I guess. And also led to some speculation that Hermia Druitt may have been a fiction created by the, the Bloomsbury group or the Bright Young Things and it was a hoax in the same way they did other other actual hoaxes like in, in, in history, which in itself is like that is an erasure. It's like, oh, no, this black, this wonderful, talented, extravagant black modernist poet couldn't really have existed. It must have been a hoax by the Bloomsbury group. Ah, oh, there's like, as I said, I liked this book. I am sad that I didn't feel, I guess, uh, uh, as emotionally engaged to it 
as I felt I, I, I would and I be. Think, I think we should speak about that because we've unpacked, I think, the, mm. the, the key themes and the, key, the, the stuff that yeah. uh, Reinhold's doing. Um, but in terms of engaging with the book, and I did, absolutely did. It, there's no doubt about that. But it did mm. take me over a week to read. And sometimes, that's not, again, this is not a, crit, a criticism. There are some books that are short but are dense and they take time to read yeah. and they are written that way. You are not meant to rush through them. They are not page turners to yeah. use that horrible term. And the structure of this book, as you've already said, is really smart. I loved personally the nonfiction stuff. That, that in fact, in fact, you could have taken everything out, just left the the uh, written a, a fake book called Black Monism. And, <laughs> that and, was so fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's just because because there's a lot of because while it's a it's a fake fic, a nonfiction book. Um, a lot of what's in there is is factual, um, and the stuff about Virginia Woolf is really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of really good meat and substance in there. I mean, yes, there's some mm. fictional characters because of the nature of this novel, but a lot of a lot of this, the the um, architecture and scaffolding around it is is all accurate. It's all real, yeah. And it's a really interesting look at modernism itself, at modernism as mm-hmm. a form of art, uh, which yes, going back to James Joyce is why I'm interested in that at the moment. Um, so. I loved all that. I, mm. The third person Hermia stuff was interesting. I felt I don't. Mm, I, I think she was trying to ape a certain style with those sections, and I don't think of it. It worked as much for me. But I, I'm not. I wasn't. They weren't terrible or anything like that. I just that just didn't engage as much uh, for me. And then the Matilda stuff is good, and I love Erskine Lily, and their relationship is wonderful. Um, I mean, Griselda and uh, the Hector. And Hector. Uh, I, to, to, for those two, I, I, and again, I know they're emblematic of a certain type of view of the world, especially view of art, and especially coming from uh, they're rich and wealthy and privileged and that sort mm-hmm. of view. Uh, but the fact that they keep uh, and, and uh, they, they just never thought real to me as characters is really what it came yeah. down to. And so, and, and the fact that I did feel distanced from it at times, I actually didn't find it that funny. I, uh, and I'm there, I can see the humour that's there, but I just it, there was this constant mm. distancing um, meant that, I, yeah, I, I, I did struggle with it from time to time. So, but, that, but that does not undermine what this book is doing, nor does it say, or would I say to someone, don't read it. In fact, I would very much say absolutely read this novel. Just be aware that you just need to be ready for You need to be ready for the novel and know that it's not going to come and uh, pat you on the head and, uh, and yeah. walk you through its yeah. uh, its Byzantine corridors. <laughs> it's, a, it's a book you can't read when you're a bit tired. That's right. You got, you, correct. <laughs> correct. Yeah, I I I think when I say, like, it, it's funny, it, it's more wry. Like, I really liked Matilda her, and her narrative sections and her observations of the, and just what she did. I, I just found it really, yeah, I mean, funny is a, funny is a strange word. It com- encompasses a whole bunch of different types of humor, but she was really wry and sardonic and, and just what she did, like her, her, her refusal to, to fit in. You know, she is someone who is, is always uh, seeking. She's almost a grifter, but, but not in like that has, yeah. Well, actually, it has good connotations in art, doesn't it? Grifters are often anti-heroes. <laughs> we, do, we don't like them in real life, but in art they're like, well, they're, yes, well, they're the anti-heroes. In, well, interesting, there's a, there's, a, there's a regular panic in the novel around money. And mm. and, and, so, and and it's important to note that this is very much a – while the place of Dunn is 
fictional. We don't know where it's set. This is not fable-like. There, there is a reality, a, a, a concreteness yeah. to this to this yeah. to this place. And she, yeah, she's uh, she relies on the the stipend she gets from this re- residency, which she sort of faked her way into. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 it's yeah, it's she in that sense, yeah. She's 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 really interesting because she does take no shit. She couldn't yeah. give a fuck. Uh, in a, no, exactly. The only reason she even turns up to anything is because she's worried she loses stipend, and that's it. Yeah, she doesn't want to get kicked out of the residency because at the moment this was this is a pretty pretty good way to get some regular money in. Where in her other like previously and in in her other her other lives, I think we could say like her other escapes. Um, you know, she she's had to shoplift, she's had to scam people, she's um, you know in a in a kind of like a I guess a, a gentle way if you can imagine that. Um, so when when we met her at the beginning of the novel, she was um, house, house sitting for someone essentially. Um, someone she's never met, by the way. Uh, someone she yeah, and and then that gets complicated by the fact that the the neighbours of this person um, recognise her from a previous identity and so it's like oh no my 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 escaped identity and those neighbors that is that that was wonderful those neighbors are this brilliant uh little nudge at bougie type I mean, they don't have chairs in their house and they just i mean <laughs> and that- well that's the other thing about like one of the conversations running through this book because obviously the the garuvians and and their ilk and the Dunn residency, but you know the, the the minimalism, the like pairing back your identity, the disdain for pleasure and for the kind of extravagance that that Matilda and Erskine Lily immerse themselves in, from from the types of you know clothes they wear to the food they eat to the the experiences that they seek, this this the, you know this pleasure seeking sort of thing, and um, which we haven't even talked about the the actual like loat and the loat o's and and. <laughs> Oh yeah, correct. This, we have this occult, this occult society, yeah, it's or, a secret or potentially a cult society that um, that Matilda and Erskine Lily end up trying to track down. We haven't even really talked about that. Which was set up, established by Hermia and and uh, Stephen, uh, yeah, her friend. Yeah, and but anyway, but but this idea of this, yeah, this it, again, it all goes back to the idea that yes, if you know, if you have plenty, you can fetishize having nothing. Yeah, right. Well, it, 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 well, yeah. On that, I mean, God, you could. Sp- you, uh, this is the thing about this book: you could spend a good four hours talking about one aspect because the thing that they pray to, they're not praying; they're just a bit, a bit of enamored of is this 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 angelic form called the luxury. I mean, just the term, the luxuries. Mm. Plays yes. into that idea, and that's this yeah. is Matilda and Erskine Lily. Well, well, but also um, previously, yeah, uh, but not the not the Dunn residencies. No, not the Dunn residencies. No, no, no. It's the Lot the Lot O's, and then it's what Matilda and Erskine Lily are also Correct. chasing. Yeah. Correct. And there's this statue, yeah. and they think if you listen to it in a certain way, you can hear the luxuries, and there's this whole element there, that's just threading through the novel that we've barely touched upon, but is actually really yeah, important. There, there is so much in this novel, and I, I just. I don't want to say I felt it was too long because it, it is dealing with a lot. I just, for for me reading it at the time, it was just like I just I just needed to end. But at the same time, I was really enjoying all the bits that I was reading. As I said, it was a it was a Kirsten thing. It's definitely no, not, oh, no, 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 um, no, no. So I think that's a lot thing. I'm sorry. I think that's too easy now. I think. <gasps> I think that we can all say we were, t- you know, I, I mean, I, I wasn't exhausted, but I, I mm. do genuinely find there were times when the book was too distancing for me, where I felt that the, 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 the 
space between me as the reader and Reinhold as the author was too far and I wasn't engaging, uh, you know, at any level, even at an intellectual level. So what do you... Like what? What do you mean when you like the distance between you and the author? What do you mean? So where, where I feel that there's no connection, but, but at all between us, um, uh, where I have to, I'm not getting no, nothing is sparking. Whether it's the uh, sympathy for characters, or just at the pure intellectual level, or at the pure l- level of sentence, nothing is sparking. And it was, and it was often is that an engagement with the book? Yeah, it is. Rather than the oh, well, okay, well, no, because it's just really interesting. No, it's just really interesting the way you framed it. All right, like the book. The, the yes, connect, you which are I would, no, no, but uh, but I love that. Like you, 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 you wanting a connection through the book with the author. Yes, which is the opposite of what the Dunn resident. Well, yes, yes, well, <laughs> you is, know what I mean. Because and I, I think I read like that too in a way, except I don't think I I conceptualize it necessarily. I've always I've always conceptualized it like that. In as much, I mean, I don't know if I've done it ever as consciously as I've just stated it, but. Um, yeah, to a degree that I feel like the, the, it is. Yes, the author is very present in anything I read. Mm. I've never liked the whole yeah. death of the author bullshit. I, mean, I get the fact about interpretation, and everyone is, can yep. bring their own interpretation of baggage to a book. But the idea that the author is not is doesn't play a role in any of this, or or should be ignored. And if they say no, that's not what my book is about. That should just be well, we don't give a shit. Is to me just ridiculous. I've never liked that. Hated it. <laughs> and yes, so I feel like I'm in a relationship yeah. when I've got the book open with that author and with what they're trying to do. And there were times, and it was mostly around yes, Griselda and Hector, and there was and the weird love triangle with Erskine Lily, which didn't you know, just didn't work for me. And some of the third person bits didn't always work for me. But I, I'm not. But but again, that was that's me. That's a personal taste thing. But but these are the, these there was a distancing. That's all I'm saying. No, I agree, and I think the book. Um, I mean, certainly the the structure of the book, the um, the patchwork quality of it, where yeah. it is, you know, presenting a narrative made of different different narrative techniques, right? Yeah. I think that is part of it. And books that are written like that are, are are constantly reminding you you are reading a book, right? You are reading a constructed artifact that is very much designed as all books are, but this is very explicitly reminding you that you are reading a constructed artefact, the components of which are being very carefully put together to, to, to talk to you in a certain way, to elicit a response, to make you think about something. Uh, and those books, I, I think you, you do maybe read more on an intellectual level because you're reminded constantly of, of what this book is, is doing as opposed to a book which is written in a much more, I guess, immersive way where you're meant to, you know, scare quotes, forget your reading, right? And and just sit alongside a character or, or characters or in their heads and, and just you're just reading and you're not thinking too much about what the the book as a constructed artifact is doing. So I I, th- I think and I think that may be distancing like that but but deliberately so. But but deliberately so. And but yeah. I'm not this is not to say that I don't like those sorts of books. I actually love those sorts of books. It's just sometimes they don't spark at times. And this is a long Fair book. Up. So, so th- this is the point. It, 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 I would argue you knock a quarter off it. I know that's a very problematic <laughs> thing to say, but I'm just saying if it was t- if it was tighter, I probably love this book. Uh, as in, would be giving it to people to read, like just flinging copies out left, right, and centre. There, are, there is times where that sort of dis- distancing technique to sustain it over a long period is really, really difficult. And, look, frankly, I'm a minority, and to a sense so are you, because A, it won two awards. I mean, okay, fine. But beyond that, the crit- the, the critiques of the novel or the reviews of the novel ha- are mostly 
consistently rapturous. I mean, this is this was much love and great. And that's why I, and I think there's a reason for that because there is so much genius in this novel. It, it, you know, it, it, it's saturated with it. It just yeah. doesn't sustain for me that full extent. That's all. Fair enough. And I think when you when you consider all the components that are in there, um, I did, you know, as a reader, um, the section, well, I don't even want to say section, it, it, it's, it is, you know, a good weighty portion of the book in, in done and around the residency. Um, for me, perhaps was a bit, it was weighted too heavily. Uh, I, I, you know, I would have loved to have seen a bit more in London with Agnes and all of that stuff. Yes, I loved Agnes. Agnes, I could have spent a whole book with Agnes. I could have spent She's a whole great. book with Agnes. Actually, yeah. Agnes, Erskine, Lily, and Matilda, just the three of them together would, would have. Oh, would have, my heart. <laughs> the, adve- <laughs> the adventures of, you know. That, that and, you know, indeed, that may be the, where, where this is heading next. Um, not that I'm saying Shola von Reinhold should write. A second, but you know that they kind of. But, but, but as Jonathan said, as Jonathan always says to me, my editor says, "You don't review the book that wasn't written." No, written. absolutely. I can't think of what you'd take out. No, no, and, and that's why I say when I say, "Oh, cut twenty five percent," I say that you know, in it's a terrible. It is a terrible thing to say as a person who didn't write the book and has <laughs> the last time wrote fiction was so long ago. It's not funny, and uh, wouldn't know. Wouldn't I, I couldn't even recommend what you're right. I couldn't recommend what to cut out. Absolutely. Yeah, so, there wasn't so, any bit in there which I went, wow, this is really unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if I had to choose, it would be that the Griselda Hector stuff just didn't do it for me. So I, I just think there's enough going on in the done stuff that it, I don't know if it needed the Griselda Hector stuff. Is is That's that's my thinking. But look, again, I didn't put this novel together. So it's possible that in writing it, it, it you know, uh, they felt that, that that was required and that, that they needed that. And and, and and it's part of the thematic stuff as well because Griselda and Hector, again, stand, are emblematic for a form of uh, self-denial that's quite yeah. awful. Well, they're, they're the personification of, of the Dunn residency. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I get, we do, I get we do end I up get... meeting Guru, which is really interesting, in London briefly. Um, I, talk, I about, I just... talk about creepy. I think I'd assumed he was dead. I don't yes, know. Yes, I had it as well. I was quite surprised when it's like we're going to London to a party and actually, to meet him. It's like well, oh, that's he's the not funny dead. thing because when they when they didn't say that really we've spoken a lot about this book. Mm. When um, when I keep saying, oh, is he coming to this event? Is he coming to that event? I just thought it was some sort of weird messianic thing because oh. I assumed he was dead. I was like, you know, the, the third coming of uh, Guru. But no, no, he's he's very much alive. Is he wearing is he wearing leisure wear when we see him? I, I think was... I think so. Like the the really interesting thing, and again, it it's it's so clever. Like the, this book is super smart. Again, you've got these this I guess philosophy of of art and possibly of being um, around the suppression of identity and the removal and all this sort of. And yet, it is centered around this cult like figure where we'll analyze every word he has said and what it could yes. mean and the multiple concurrent meanings. That's another thing we haven't and, spoken about. And we're about. so the excited about meeting him. And it's like, but why? You don't care about identity or authorship or artists. Why do you care about this person? Yes. Like, but clearly you do. And of course we do. And you see that, you know. Um, like we 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 cannot we we're we're social creatures we can, we cannot divorce that that is why there is such a um among a, a lot and not all by any means but and especially among creatives such an instinctive kind of you know the the AI generated art and 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 literature and so on it's just like but you, you've taken the person away it feels instinctively to me at least I'm not speaking for every single person but for me and a lot of the commentary I've read there is 
a an uncanny valley type thing. You you have take it's it's not even if it's indistinguishable, it does like the the concept of it feels uncanny. Like taking out that human creator feels weird. This thing is just and, and humans obviously have input into the creation of these AI stuff, but there is an uncanniness about that. So Kirsten, yes. Usually when we talk about books. We do repeat ourselves, and I think you probably cut out some of that repetition. I do. Uh, <laughs> as we've spoken about Lote, we because we haven't even we barely touched upon the Guru book and all its I know. words. So as we as we've spoken about it, we have constantly been excavating new things to talk about this book. We could have spent the <laughs> entire podcast just we talking about talked Lote for three hours about Lote. I think, and that 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 is. Absolutely um, symbolic of what this book is like to read. Um, and, and I was going to do a, an extraordinarily good segue here because I was going to say, and just like the way we've con- we've been excavating, excavating, excavating the themes and ideas in Lot, that is also central to our next book, Animal Life by Ava Arva Olafsdottir. It is. Talk about immersive. <laughs> <laughs> this this book, which is again, um, I mean, we, we we spoke about Lot and how it's structured, but that the primary, like the bulk of the the, the I guess the the text in Lot is a first person narrative from Matilda, and, and Animal Life is also entirely a first person narrative told by Dia, who's um, a midwife in in Iceland, and it is also um, it's very like the voice is very different. But probably because I read them back to back, um, it did remind me a lot of uh, Matilda, just in the sense of the, the detail of describing the everyday, um, you know, like you know what she does, what she eats, what what thing. Like the, it was, it was that kind of nice detail. Now there's no massive big plots and conspiracies and um, and things in animal life, except the conspiracy around you know denying climate change. But it is that that lovely intimate voice of of a person talking to you and I for me Matilda had that because because it was so detailed here's what I'm eating here's exactly what I'm what it, what it tastes like and here's the clothes and here's the you know and animal life is very much written in that same way you get a very intimate window into Dia's life without actually like Matilda knowing a lot about her in in depth that's true in fact we learn more about the interior life of her grand aunt than mm. we do about her so yeah you know it's funny this book i think is this is my second icelandic writer i noticed I, i've read a novel by haldor lakshness but to this is my i think only the second book i've read by an icelandic writer so and i really mm. do need to because I, I missed the whole icelandic noir nordic noir <laughs> craze so so i haven't read enough in that in that space but this book is just oh my god it's just gorgeous it's beautiful it, it, it yeah. really is. It is just a beautiful thing. Uh, and it's also an, in, in the same way, I think, um, or in a similar way uh, that Lope presents, it's it's also a book that is 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 more a conversation. It is yes, more a it conversation is. It's about ideas. Than, than plot-driven, right? Yeah, well, with this – ah, thank you. Beautiful. Well said. There are certain people who go on about plot and the supremacy of plot and story, and as much as I like a good plot story-based novel, I do – you know, literary books often get – uh, upon because of their plotless nature and it's all just navel-gazing. And 
you only have to read a book like Animal Life to understand. And again, I know I'm generalising, so take that on board that I am generalising, but you only have to read a book like Animal Life to appreciate that you can have fiction that is purely about ideas and still be engaging, blah, 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 without having having a central through line plot-wise beyond the fact that, and that the one thing that does run through this is that there's a storm coming. That's the big the big element, which which is there, which is there to speak more broadly to the climate change element that you said before, but but there's no there's no there's no plot in the in the in the sort of dramatic sense of the word. And I was thinking about this a lot when I when I was reading it, because um, arguably Lote Lote does have a, a what we what we generally talk about as a, a, a plot in terms of well, it's you know, a quest. There's it a is, quest. It is a quest. quest plot. It is a quest novel. Yeah, but I was thinking about this, and when when we talk about this, and we say, oh, well, you know, there's no plot, and and um and so on, and I, I'm not going to articulate this well because I really am just kind of thinking about this on the fly, but it feels more like when we when we say things like that, what we're what we're saying is there is no external plot. So there is no plot that is defined by things that happen external to the characters. Yeah. And we forget that the plot just means what happens in a story. And you can have an internal plot. And sometimes I think I mean I think they're more difficult because it's very easy to have an in, an internal plot that is just boring <laughs> because it's just a character passively sitting around not doing much, maybe acted upon, maybe thinking about things. And if it's not written well, it's absolutely boring because there is no external things happening. But when an internal plot is rendered, you know, with, with skill and with texture and with depth like it is in animal life, it's still a plot. It's an internalized plot. No big things happen. I mean, there's the storm, but even that doesn't result in any, you know, major things for um, deer. But the plot is about her internal life and her coming, her attempting to understand her great aunt who is who is dead, and she's living in a in a flat which was partially left to her by her great aunt. And a flat that, going back to archiving, is a museum piece of her great aunt, just like the manuscripts are. You know, it's, it's and and that like if you want to talk about and on a very simplistic sense what the plot of animal life is, it, it is about coming like coming in into her herself by the yeah. end of the book she is starting to un- literally unpack this flat and jettison some of her aunt's possessions and do some some renovating and 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 get settled with the the, the tragedy which is so beautifully and subtly and brilliantly revealed and you go ah i understand something now I don't understand. I'm not saying I understand you 100% as a person, but I understand something now. And again, this we, uh, makes look, sense. And, and again, I'm not going to reveal what that is. Oh, you're not going? Okay, all right. I know I think that would spoil the book. Okay, fair enough. Um, and, and we don't need to to talk about it. Um, and I think that this book, as an internal plot, is about this person in middle age. She's not a young woman finally coming to terms with her own life and where her life is going now and being able to separate herself from her great aunt who was i think in her life she felt they were mirror characters or mirror mirrored people and not just because um, they have the same name and not just because they have the so the name is is Dom Hilda um but we uh 
a narrator is referred to as, as a, like a shortening, it's Dia throughout the book and her great aunt is, is Fifa. Um, but we should read, I should read the blurb for this book for readers who have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so, oh, and I've, you know, I've just seen it has only 3.68 stars on Goodreads. Shame on you, Goodread readers. Yes. <laughs> for shame. For shame for it to be under four stars. Absolutely, um, 4.8 minimum. So here is the blurb. In the days leading up to Christmas, Domhilda delivers her 1,922nd baby. Beginnings and endings are her family trade. She comes from a long line of midwives on her mother's side and a long line of undertakers on her father's. She even lives in the apartment she inherited from her grandaunt, a midwife with a unique reputation for unconventional methods. As a terrible storm races towards Reykjavik, Domhilda discovers decades worth of letters and manuscripts hidden amongst her grandaunt's clutter. Fielding calls from her anxious meteorologist sister and visits from her curious new neighbour, Domhilda escapes into her grandaunt's archive and discovers strange and beautiful reflections on birth, death, and human nature. And and that like that is a summary of um, the external plot elements, which are thin. As I said, the storm doesn't and it, it does cause great damage to the town that that Gia's in, but it, it doesn't, you know. Um, it doesn't capture it the beauty. It her directly. Doesn't no, but it doesn't capture directly. the beauty, like, like the fact that yeah, uh, exactly. Dia um, says poetry to the as a midwife when she's in the yeah. hospital rooms with the women who are giving birth and they mm. remember it and come back to it. I mean, that just, yeah. yes, yeah. The, yeah, the connection that midwives have. You. Yeah. No, I was just saying, so it's, but what it doesn't speak about because it is hard to speak about is the, the actual plot of the novel, which is an internalised plot, which I've, I've mentioned. And, the book is really clever and um, I should say the author is really clever because uh, she plays with the reader in terms of um, our our very common understanding of plot and how novels work and what happens in them because there's these all the way through, like uh, as the, that blurb said, Dia's sister is a meteorologist. She's always contacting Dia with updates about how bad yes, the storm is going to be and how much worse it's going to be and, oh, have you warned the Australian upstairs who's the tourist Correct. who's just arrived? And, you assume, you assume and I'm expecting like, yeah, by yeah. the end of the novel, and I guess this is an anti-spoiler, by the end of the novel, you know, the Australian's going to be hurt or injured or killed or yes. he's not, but Dia yes. will be trying to ha- rescue him or and none of that happens. Well, uh, not 100%, a gazillion percent. It is genius. I love that. It is. It is absolutely. You get crumbs, to the end of it. It's here's like the going, gun on the wall. He's multiple guns. Here's on the, wall. the gun on the wall. Never going to take him down. And it's just like, oh, you're clever. That's so clever. Thank you for distracting me with my plot-based bias. But that only <laughs> works. That only works. That only works if the novel inherently is powerful enough and profound enough, so that you, so that when you look at that reflectively, you go back and go, oh wait, there are all these guns on the wall that were never fired. But I don't give a shit because you know you know what I'm saying. So it reminded me of. Only Lovers Left Alive, uh, which is a beautiful film. It's a Jim Jarmusch film. It, it's, in my opinion, one of his best films, if not his best film. It's got Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston as these very old, temporarily old vampires, young looking as vampires are. And, and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful Findesicler sort of feel. It's, it's, um, melancholic and, and wonderful. And it's, it's just a beautiful film, but there is a literal gun at one point. Mid- midway through the film, a character has a gun and there's a fuss made about how they shouldn't have it and it's dangerous and, and you go, mm, okay. And that gun never fucking recurs again. It never <laughs> plays an element in the thing, but it has 
it has triggered your response as an audience to go, oh, I'm going to keep, and, and successfully distracts you from some other things that therefore you might not have thought about because you go, look, gun, focus on the gun. And then these other things kind of happen and I won't say any more, I won't spoil the film, but it is, it is a beautiful film. It's also a very meditative film and I think in that respect, as I said, it, now that I think about it, it's not just the gun, Chekhov's gun that's, that reminds me of it, but it, the, both that film and this book are very, very meditative and, and um you know, concerned with the end of the world and climate change in in a, in a way, and I think Ola Stoddard does that really well because she she kind of leaves these breadcrumbs for the readers to follow, and we do. But as you say, and it's not it's you're not disappointed. You're not like oh, I was waiting for the gun because it's just it is just beautifully done. Um, that blurb was a little misleading. She doesn't find these manuscripts during the storm. She she is aware of them and has been reading through them. Yeah, I, I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. The storm actually happens very late in the novel. It, mm. In fact, every, everything is the build up, or to even the during storm. the lead. Like I think the blurb said in the lead up to the storm. But no, she she has she's she's known about and has been kind of looking at these. So things she for, for so one of the things is she finds a box with our, our pen pal letters between yeah. her, her great aunt and a close friend of hers, which in and of themselves are wonderful, but also not tragic because they, they both live to an old age, but. That, that those later ones when one of the, one one is about to die and that is is it's really quite upsetting it's quite moving um because because the book is about life and death i mean yep. the, you know literally mortuary i mean that that is a bit on the nose and yet it's not that's oh my god the hell is it, that because it's not overplayed well because yeah it's it's because that's it it's there but it's not it's not emphasized yeah. it's just no, there it's it's the it's the midwifery that is emphasized yeah but but the fact that her mother so it's 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 matrilineal in terms of the midwifery, but then her mother broke the line by joining the father in terms of the um, yeah. Her mother the, is not a midwife, and, and and there is an early part, and I'm sort of I'm sort of reluctant to talk about it because it might be a spoiler, but there is an early part where you hear about the mother's experience uh, working in the uh, mortuary or not mortuary, working as a, a, a funeral parlor at that, and especially dealing with their children, and 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 how she won't come out of her room for three or four days. Yeah, and, and it's really up setting but again it is you could say well that's all so on the nose oh there's midwives on one side of the family and you know the funeral well, but the, it's not overplayed and it's not overplayed what's the word what's the word i'm looking for i keep saying funeral parlor what's the the role mortician uh, mortician oh god my yes. brain. <laughs> midwives and morticians yeah so midwives and morticians and yeah but you're right first off it's not overplayed in fact if anything it's underplayed um and second off, um, and it, I, I think because it's explicit, like Dia says, she says, yeah, this is this is what my family is, and it's a, this weird symbolism thing. She, you know, the author isn't leaving this for the reader to go, yes, oh, correct. that's weirdly symbolic. <laughs> like Dia is explicitly saying, here's this weird thing, <laughs> and and then the, and then the the, the whole na- natural world stuff plays into this yeah. idea uh, for her, at least for a great aunt that. As the, the action of birth and birth itself is beautiful, the children or infants are beautiful. But once they leave the control of the midwife, in a sense, or the hospital, in a sense, or just get into the world, humans are pretty shit <laughs> because we've destroyed because because we've destroyed everything uh, around us, you know. And there's this whole idea about how of all the mammals, and we and you would have known this, and I knew this, you know, we're the ones that are most fragile because we need to learn how to walk and talk, etc. Whereas uh, the other the other species on this planet 
come out in a sense fully formed. I mean, they don't, but you know, at least compared to M- most. much more able to to take care so, of themselves from yes, yeah, so more self sufficient very very shortly after birth. And, and there's Could- this idea that the, our lack of self sufficiency has made us more rapacious in the way we treat the natural world. That if maybe we were more self sufficient when we came out of the the womb, we might not have you know blown everything up. But and, you, you know, like one which of I, like which is quite profound. I, I think yeah. anyway. I was going to say, like, like biologically, like the, as I understand it, I'm I'm not a biologist, but as I understand it, as as I've read, one of the like the primary reason why that is the case, and and human beings are so ridiculously vulnerable as infants and for for such a long time, is our brains, like we we literally we cannot be born later, we cannot develop in utero any longer than we are because our heads would get too big and people who need to birth children would not be able to birth a child with a head any bigger than it currently is. It already causes issues. <laughs> so our infants have to be born kind of early compared to other mammals because we, we can't let them be in utero developing any longer or they won't come out without killing the birth parent. It's That, that particular thing's not said, but, I mean, Dia's granddad certainly talks about the fact of our intelligence and our evolution and our brains being a problem and it's funny because it ties right back into why we are so vulnerable at birth because it's like we got to get them out now like they can't develop any longer so yeah it's it's really interesting um it would have been it would have been so easy thinking about load and thinking about how it is structured and you know as i said sort of the 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 patchwork nature of the book it would have been incredibly obvious i think and simple for this to have had great chunks of you know to reproduce those letters yeah epistolary bit to reproduce the articles like the bit but but she doesn't the the words that we get from dia's great aunt are are, are some some direct quotes but not great chunks and passages but they're synthesized they're synthesized she summarizes Yeah. yeah she summarizes and paraphrases what her aunt says she will give direct quotes like a line or a couple of sentences here and there but mostly she's saying here is what this this writing is about here is what my aunt you know seemed to be saying and it it so it is this cohesive narrative as opposed to um you know when you think back on it it that would have been the very obvious way to structure this book right would have made it a longer book because you would have been putting in you know the letters you would have been putting in chunks of the manuscripts that that dia is reading um and i'm really glad it wasn't done that way because this is such an intimate an intimate book. It is. It is really beautiful and elegant. It, it is, and look, the, there's a matter of factness to the language, um, mm. which I found. So the the, the language isn't uh, that emotive. The translation. Look again. A lot of people. A translation, and we should mention the translator. We haven't, and that's bad on us. Uh, it's Brian Fitzgibbon. Uh, yeah. So we'll, and 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 I I can never judge a translation. I actually, recently wrote a review uh, of a book. Um, that uh, I've, I, it's very difficult because I don't read the original language. So how would you know? But sometimes you can tell. You can tell because you can you, you feel um, that there's a, a, an intent that's clear that the author was trying to bring in the translator has brought that. Yeah. So especially with books that are either over the top or very subtle, um, and mm. and I think the, here there's a subtlety and nuance to the language that has clearly been translated that has clearly been communicated to us. I doubt in the Icelandic that this is a highly overtly, you know, baroquely written, yeah, baroquely <laughs> yes. novel. I, I, you you yeah. know, that's not the case. I, uh, I agree. I agree. I, I would, I would hope that these days publishers are engaging translators who 
and and they are they are yeah engaging translators who are i could spend two weeks talking about translators and how minimized (laughs) they are and how they don't get enough love and that there is an extraordinary group of translators who i keep seeing because i now quite a bit of translator work so the same names now crop up who i'm now Mm. familiar with or i go oh it's Rhonda mullins she's terrific you know Uh, or it's me mcdowell she's terrific i know them off the top of my head now um (laughs) and and they are completely undersold translators and the work they do they're, they're they're extraordinary and i would and i will just say that we will as as cultures we will all be poorer if ai translation takes the place of human beings that is correct well the thing is the thing is what we again i'm going to not say too much on this but the, the translator is actually picking specific words to try and get a feel ai is yeah absolutely well ai can be trained ultimately i suppose to do that but to get to yeah. feel that nuance but uh, at the moment, they always go for the, the most obvious words. Sometimes the, the genius of the translator is coming up with something that actually isn't a direct translation but mm. mimics the same uh, or echoes the same feeling that yeah, the, the author is going for. But if they went for the direct translation, it would just be lost in translation. <laughs> so, yeah, but, no, it is it is beautifully written. Um, I do find it hard to talk about the language in a translated work other than to to praise how well it is translated. Um, because we, I don't, you know, I don't speak any other languages, so I, I, I do not know how what the language was like in in Olofstedter's original novel. But I, Jeremy I Tiang, hope, that's another translator, Jeremy Tiang. So they're just popping in my head. That's how great. That I was going to say, I would hope it is as as elegant and sparse and direct as the translation is, because it, I, I, I really loved reading this. Like I love the actual reading this book. On you a also know that, that, that we would that even there would be a small smidgen of nuance that's been left aside but yeah absolutely that, that, but that but that we've got it and look we, we should say we, i think we've covered the themes but there is yeah. some beautiful stuff there about the inconstancy of life there's beautiful stuff mm. there about yeah, just um the natural world itself and and, and, mm. and, and and there's also this really interesting idea running through the novel about publication about publishing the publishing industry yes because the, the, and, the, and because what books should be Correct, and what a book should look like, um, because the the, the grand uh, did try to get these uh, this this stuff published, but it was rejected because it was all a bit all over the shop. Which it is. It's uh, uh, Dia does acknowledge that that, that there's a um, there isn't really a flow to this work, but that is also very much reflective of our life. And re- yeah, and that's right. And there, there's a note, um, like a part in there, which I found really beautiful. Uh, where she she's trying to work out for a great chunk of it, um, you know, the order in which because there appears to be I think three separate manuscripts, and yes, she's trying right. to for a while to work out the order in which they were written and where what what because a lot of them are, are typed. Her granddad did get a computer, but that came later in her life. That's it, that was actually really cute. The bit with the computer, like yeah, uh, and and what Dia's reading is is physical typed manuscripts for the yeah. most part with with handwritten annotations on some of them um and she's trying to work out like because she's thinking maybe 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 they they could be published and she's trying to work out final versions and at one point she sort of steps back and and thinks well i don't think i don't think there are final versions i think these are an ongoing this is just an ongoing work in progress that my grand aunt came back to and came back to and that's that's a really beautiful thing and that goes back to Lope because I think at the end he is kind of sat with the fact that she doesn't think this sort of thing maybe should be published and then it's like but then you, you like it's it's like Lope it's just thing it's an archive it's just sitting there and no one like no one gets to interact with it or to receive it as an audience and it's like is I don't know is that good or bad well <laughs> but we 
But, but she does. How big does yeah. the audience have to be? I mean, this is the, the thing going back to Lowe, that there is literally no one, zero. Yeah. Um, I mean, not even the author anymore because they've passed on. So there is no one. Whereas here at least the daughter has, uh, mm. the, not daughter, uh, Adia has at least uncovered it and found, excavated yeah. it and as, as such excavated more about the life of her it. and told us about it. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Look, these are great books. I do apologise. I know you're probably going to cut this out, Kirsten, but I do apologise if the last seven or eight minutes have been a bit scratchy because I had to move uh, from one room to the other because my computer was about to run out of battery and Kirsten has already berated me, so you don't need to. Also, I realised that right. we have a list. The, yes, the microphone was four miles away when I moved into the other room. Yeah. So we, we uh, have a, we have a checklist for Ian. We, we listeners won't know, but we did spend a good twenty five minutes this morning trying to set Ian up, and now we have a checklist. So next time, and you would think this was like episode one of Writer and the Critic. It's episode uh, ninety seven. Is that right? <laughs> but you, you have changed your your equipment you're using, so it took a little bit of time to get it sorted yes. um it also accounts for the slightly less than stellar audio quality last month for which i apologize <laughs> did the best yes. i could about the white noise but anyway this this episode hopefully hopefully fingers crossed i'll see when i go back to edit it will be better <laughs> just going back to animal life terrific novel it's forty four thousand words uh it's oh a, it's, wow it's really book, yeah it's a book you can read in, in well probably not one sitting but definitely in two although don't rush it because it again it's beautifully written, and it's and it's worthy of being uh, absorbed uh, uh, fully. So, look, at the, ultimately, we recommend both these books, don't we? I mean, that's uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, what's up next month? Well, we're doing the Terraformers. I've chosen this by Annalee Newitz. Uh, I think this is probably going to be one of the major novels of twenty twenty three, at least from a science fiction fantasy point of view. So, I thought I look forward to reading it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And then we're doing a book uh, called Sing Nightingale by Marie-Hélène Poitras, which, okay, Kirsten, I have already read and reviewed <laughs> for Locus. Uh, so and I did you choose know it, you did. I, I chose it and I, I actually think it was because, you, like, you, I, yes, I it was, 100% messaged it to you and, and said I'm, I'm going to have this one because I literally, again, just went through my list of screenshots that I have taken of covers. I mentioned it on myself. Facebook and, and Lisa Handel or Angela – I think it was Angela uh, Slatter um, see, tagged me, tagged you, and this popped into your head, and it's come yes. full circle, which I have no problem yes. with because I won't be rereading. You've done your homework. I, You've done well, your homework. I've literally just read it, and uh, I won't be rereading it. And I have, a, and if I forget stuff, I have a nine hundred. You have word a, lo- review a locus review <laughs> that I can refer to. I'll just read chunks well, of that. There out. you go. There you uh, go. This was yes. me just um, no because I, I went and looked at the covers in my in my little folder, and then I went and looked at a couple of the blurbs about them because I never can't remember what, why I put the book in the folder. And it's like, oh, that one sounds really cool. We'll, we'll read that one. So Sing, Night- Sing Nightingale is a fascinating novel. I actually think, Kirsten, you're going. Don't yes. hype it up I, to me. I'm not. Hyping, no, 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 no. Because you know, I'm contrary. If you tell me I'm going to love it, I may not. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. It's fascinating. <laughs> Genuinely fascinating. The, it is absolute writer and the critic catnip of the novel. Okay. Wonderful. So, I mean, listeners, um, you may know I am, I am in, in, intrinsically, deeply, involuntarily contrary. <laughs> so please don't tell me I will absolutely adore something because my inner, involuntarily, my inner self will go, oh, will you though? I'm not saying you necessarily will adore <laughs> it, but I think you'll, 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 you'll get yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> Okay. Well, I look forward to reading them both. I was going to say next month, but it's already this month <laughs> that I will need to read them for next month. 
Please send feedback by commenting at the website writerandcritic.podbean.com. Uh, send an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com. I'm not going to mention Twitter anymore because fuck Twitter. Mm. And sponsor us on Patreon if you can. <laughs> if you can. And I, I didn't end up signing us up for Spoutable. I put my own account on there just to save the name, but I couldn't be bothered. So Apparently Spoutable's also got problematic shit behind I, it. They, they, they all do. Everything does. We, this is why we can't have nice things. It's all over. It's the end of everything. All right, well, I'm going to go and have lunch with my family. Maybe blogs will get rejuvenated because that's not yeah. exhausting at all to Yeah, think no, because people like me are watching TikTok. <laughs> I love TikTok at the moment. For now. Well, yeah, while it's still around. <laughs> One day I'll talk on this podcast about what I watch on TikTok because it's not what you would think, okay? So I just want to – and it's not book talk either. I don't bother with that. Um, all righty. I watch TikTok about- secondhand. I watch TikToks that appear on other oh, social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. No, no, I'm no, I'm I'm ahead of the zeitgeist. Because <laughs> I'm I'm scared to get a TikTok account. You know all those viral TikToks that you see? I saw them first. I saw all the viral know, ones first. But before I, you. I am literally it's not even an exaggeration. I am literally terrified that if I got TikTok, that would be my life. Not even creating anything, just endlessly watching. When I talk to younger people about TikTok, because I'm nearly fifty. They uh, they do look at me strangely, but then sort of also, yeah, but granddad, that's also a bit obsolete now. No one's doing that TikTok shit. Oh, what are they watching now? What's know. the new one? I fucking don't know. They won't don't tell think, us. They won't no. tell us till it's Actually, not cool. I'll be honest, I think a lot of them are just on Discord <laughs> talking to each other. Uh, <laughs> that's what they what goes on now. All right. Well, I'm, I've, been on Discord for, I've been on Discord for years, like before the kids, so there's that. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Probably not before the kids, but before you. So you know, that. now that we record this, we could actually put this on YouTube. So no. YouTube is still vaguely cool. Bye. Because then I would yeah. have to actually look like a human being. <laughs> if I uh, – no. Fuck I no. I, I have nothing more to say. Uh, bye, Kirsten. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh my God, it's such a dog and pony show.